Well, good morning. It's good back. Good to be back with y'all this week. Um, Lexi and I had the privilege of being in my hometown in Katy to celebrate my parents' 25th anniversary of serving as pastor at my dad's church um, last weekend, and so. It was, it was really, really a special time for us to just reflect on God's faithfulness to us that really made that possible. And, and my heart just overflows with gratitude over the way that, that God has been so constant with, with my own family and, and the blessing that I've had of watching parents stay in the trenches for 25 years at the same congregation. You know, that's pretty rare these days. You, you, you see that maybe in the past, but... Most of the time these days, people kind of shuffle from one place to the next, and so it's just been a really, really cool thing for me to get to watch that and get to, to be gifted with that, but also uh, it's my prayer that that would be the case for me, that I would get to be here for a really, really long time, and that the Lord would bless, bless me with that. But I heard Josh did a great job last week, and I'm, I'm thankful that we have many gifted uh, folks here at Skillman that, that can, can preach and can, can bless our body in that way. In the fall of 2006, uh, I was a a first-year seminary student, and I was also serving as a youth pastor at another church here in Dallas, at Grace Bible Church. And we had a high school student in our ministry, and his name was Carson, and he was a normal freshman boy. He was interested in two things, football and girls. Uh, Carson was a really, really neat kid, but unfortunately for Carson, the fall of 2006 would be anything but normal. Uh, at the end of October, doctors discovered that Carson had a brain tumor the size of a golf ball. And he was diagnosed with, I'll probably botch this, but medulloblastoma, which that's the official name of the cancer that was attacking his body. And over the next couple of years as I served uh, at that church and in the student ministry, I had the, the privilege of watching Carson fight cancer with, with a lot of strength and a lot of, of dignity. He kept his head up and he lived life with everything he had. He clung to Christ as his only hope. And I can still remember his wide smile across his bald head. And I will never forget the joy that this young man, only 14, had in spite of the intense difficulty, the pain and suffering that he was going through. Now, suffering affects all of us at different points in our lives. It it comes no matter who you are. It just has different shapes and different sizes. But who in their right mind ever rejoices in suffering? Who finds joy in these things, in the midst of these things? Whenever troubles come, our way, most of us have the tendency to think, why me, or this isn't fair. Life has its ups and downs, these good times and bad times come, these discomforts come, and can we really have joy in spite of suffering? I mean, is it really possible to maintain joy when everything circumstantially has gone wrong? This morning we're going to be in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, and we're going to wrestle with the question, why can you have joy in spite of suffering? Why can you have joy in spite of suffering? So if you have a Bible or if you need one, there should be one on the back of the pew in front of you. Go ahead and flip with me to 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, 
And as we look at 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, we will see six reasons why you can have joy in spite of suffering. Don't worry, six points doesn't mean we'll be here for an hour. I've condensed this, it's still going to be 30 minutes. If you're the praying kind, you can pray that it'll be 30 minutes. But uh, before we read, I want to I pray and ask the Lord to really come and meet with us because, you know, if, if, if he's not here over the next 30 minutes, we're wasting our time. So let's pray. Father, we come in here today from different uh, circumstances. Some of us are in times of life where it's incredibly hard. Some of us are in trials. We're experiencing pain and suffering right now. Others of us, we, we aren't in that place, but we're coming out of that place. And, and regardless of, of who knows it, there are some of us who are headed into that place because that's the nature of life. We can't avoid it. We can't avoid pain. We can't avoid suffering. But your word tells us that it is possible that you have given us the ability to have joy in spite of our difficulties, in spite of our suffering. Lord, I pray that you would use this text to encourage us. I pray that you would come and during this time that you would meet with us, that your spirit would communicate truth to us, that you would be with us. We need you here. We need to see your face. We need to understand your heart. And we need to understand how it is that we can have this joy even when life is incredibly difficult. Would you guide our time? Would you come and be with us? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together as we read this text. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. It says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Thanks. You can take a seat. So in, in verse 13, Peter commands us, he says, Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. His command, the simple thing is rejoice when you suffer. That doesn't make sense. You and I, by our very nature, we're wired to prevent suffering and then when it comes to try to run from it, to try to mitigate it. And he tells us to rejoice when we're in it. This is a command that very clearly, I mean, it's, it's very plain to me, that requires supernatural strength to obey. God is the only one who can provide what it takes to be able to rejoice when we are suffering. And so all six of the reasons that we're going to see in this text really are tied to God. They come back to him, and, and we will see that it really is God himself who provides what, what it takes to rejoice while suffering. 
The first reason, though, why we can have joy in spite of suffering is that suffering is not a surprise, but a plan. Suffering is not a surprise, but a plan. Look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So according to Peter, we shouldn't be surprised by suffering. It's not a surprise. Look at verse 19. We're going to jump down there. Therefore, let, the, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It says, let those who suffer according to God's will. So suffering is not outside of God's will. It may not come from God himself. It could come from Satan. But the reality is that all things including Satan himself, are under God's sovereignty. It's under his plan. Now, we may not understand that, and we certainly don't have to like that, but it's true. And, it's, and it is somewhat comforting. It, it, it's reassuring to know that it doesn't surprise God. The things that surprise us do not surprise God. Because he is omnipresent. He is outside of time. He knows things before they come. And it is a part of his master plan, whether we can see it or not. And why is it part of his plan? For what purpose? Look at verses 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So God's fire of judgment goes out and it destroys the world but it tests and it purifies the church. Basically, suffering has this function of really identifying who really does have faith. It helps clarify those who have really placed their trust in God. And he loves us so much that he uses suffering to rid us of things that would keep us from him. To, he uses it to refine us, to purify us. Ray Ortland says this. He says, God does not prevent us from being wounded. What he does do is give our wounds transcendent meaning and purpose in Christ. And so for believers, uh, you know, we believe that Christ died on the cross in our place, that he was there because of our sin. And we believe that, you know, he took our place. Sometimes we... we Somehow we, we think that that means because he suffered, we don't have to suffer. But that's not what Jesus himself taught. I mean, all throughout the Gospels, you see that he said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. You have to die to yourself. And so for us as believers, we still suffer. We just suffer with a different end, end in mind. God is using it for our purification, not, for our destroy, not to destroy us but to make us holy, to make us righteous. And when we remember that Christ's suffering was part of God's sovereign plan, it helps us understand that our own suffering is part of his plan. So when they crucified Christ, they didn't do something that was outside of the will of God. They did something that was exactly the will of God. And God somehow, some way, we don't get it. Our minds can't comprehend, but he is somehow able to take all the evil in this world, and use it for good. That's what he does. That's, he's God. We can't do that. He's the only one who knows how to do that. And we can rest knowing that he is not wasting our suffering. He is not 
just rolling a dice and letting things happen inadvertently. He's doing things with a purpose, with an end game in mind. And we can trust him. You can have joy in spite of your suffering because suffering is not a surprise but a plan. The second reason why you can rejoice in spite of suffering is that suffering as a Christian is evidence of your union with Christ. Suffering as a Christian is evidence of your union with Christ. Look at verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you, also, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So our sufferings, your sufferings are not your own. They are actually Christ, if you're a believer. And this world is opposed to Christ. It's opposed to God. And if you are in Christ, this world is going to be opposed to you. And there are going to be times that you will suffer because, simply because you are a believer. We're in a country where we're shielded from some of that. But there, it is still a reality for us. And when we go through difficult things because of our faith, what this text teaches us is that we can find great strength and peace in knowing that Christ shares in our sufferings. He is with us, he is for us, and he will not forsake us. Listen to this quote about Bonhoeffer from, from John Stott. He says this. It's kind of long, but hang with me. Few men of this century have understood better the inevitability of suffering than Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He seems never to have wavered in his Christian antagonism to the Nazi regime, although it meant for him imprisonment, the threat of torture, danger to his own family, and finally death. He was executed by the direct order of Heinrich Himmler in April 1945 in the Flossenburg concentration camp, only a few days before it was liberated. It was the fulfillment of what he had always believed and taught. This is Bonhoeffer's words. Suffering, then, is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. Following Christ means passio passive, suffering because we have to suffer. That is why Luther reckons suffering among the marks of the true church and one of the memoranda drawn up in preparation for the Augsburg Confession similarly defines the church as the community of those who are persecuted and martyred for the gospel's sake. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. Suffering with Christ confirms that we belong to him, that we are a disciple, that we are truly saved. We don't have to like it, but it is a part of what it means to follow him. And we can have joy in spite of suffering because suffering as a Christian is evidence of the fact that you are united with your Savior. The third reason why you can rejoice in spite of suffering is suffering is a means of attaining a greater joy in glory. Suffering is a means of attaining a greater joy and glory. Look at the, the second half of verse 13 again. It says, rejoice, and then in the second half, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So Peter says, rejoice now so that you'll be able to rejoice then. Our rejoicing in spite of suffering today is the means of attaining a greater joy on the last day. Our rejoicing now is preparing us to experience greater joy tomorrow. So our, our suffering is actually a test of the genuineness of our faith. And if we want to be glorified with Christ, we also have to 
suffer with him. It's a part of the way things work. Just like with, with Christ, he had to go to the cross before he was ultimately glorified and all things were subjected to him, given to him. For us to receive the joy of eternity, the joy of glory, we also have to suffer first. And what happens when we identify with Christ, the suffering servant, and we come, when we identify with him, we come to know him in a powerful way. There are gifts that God gives to us when we suffer that he cannot give us any other way. It just, it's just the way that it works. There, there are things that, that for, for us to, for him to get our attention, he, he sometimes has to do that. And when we experience him there in those places, we're able to, to, to find a greater joy in him than we would otherwise. And it is preparing us for a greater joy for all eternity. So you can have joy in spite of suffering because suffering is a means of attaining a greater joy and glory. The fourth reason why you can rejoice in suffering is that suffering leads to the Spirit of God resting on you. Suffering leads to the Spirit of God resting on you. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's no doubt that life is full of difficulty. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I watch other people and what they go through. And, and I, I, from the outside, I just can't imagine how they would make it through. You know, you see believers who go through these horrible things and their faith stays completely intact and it actually grows in the midst of these difficult, difficult times. When we face these difficult things, and, and the reason why I believe people are able to hang on to their faith and why it even gets stronger in the midst of difficulty is because God shows up and he gives us what we need in those times. He gives us himself. He gives us his spirit. And yeah, we've already received that. He dwells in us as, as believers. But in a, in a unique way, he just draws close to us and his presence is just so overwhelming when we go through trials and difficulties. What we need more than anything else when we're going through tough days is not something outside of, of, of ourselves here on this earth. We don't need some sort of humanistic pick-me-up. We need God himself, and that's what he provides. A lot of people, when they go through their toughest trials, looking back on them, they don't even regret them. Like, they, 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 they wouldn't have planned it, you know. They would never have said, I wanted that to happen. But they look back on it with gratitude because God gave them a gift of himself that is so invaluable. There's an intimacy with Christ, an intimacy with God that we experience in these dark, dark hours. And the closeness of God and the presence of his spirit makes all the difference. So you can have joy in spite of suffering because suffering leads to the spirit of God resting on you. The fifth reason why you can have joy in spite of suffering is rejoicing in spite of suffering glorifies God. Rejoicing in spite of suffering glorifies God. Look at verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. When you and I suffer for Jesus, we demonstrate to the world 
that he is more valuable to us than anything else. And that brings him glory. Tim Keller puts it this way. When believers handle suffering rightly, they are not merely glorifying God to God. They are showing the world something of the greatness of God. And perhaps nothing else can reveal him to people in quite the same way. I don't know about you, but I am often convicted. I, I have this haunting thought. I, I had it this week, as I was, maybe because I was preparing for this message, but there's this haunting thought sometimes where I go, and I, it's, it's really a question. It's something along the lines of, God, do I truly treasure you, or do I treasure the things that you give me? Do I truly value you, or do I value your gifts? What is most important to me? When we suffer and we cling to Christ, what it reveals to us, reveals to God, reveals to the world around us that we truly do value him. Because now we're not, we don't have a lot of trappings to, to, or gifts to kind of point to and be thankful for. In those moments, everything has fallen apart and we're left with just God. And when we cling to him, it shows that we really do value him. When we cling to our faith in the midst of trials and pain, Jesus is exalted, and we reveal that he really is our king. So you can have joy in spite of suffering, because rejoicing in spite of suffering glorifies God. i got one more. The sixth and final reason why you can have joy in spite of suffering is that God is faithful to care for your soul. God is faithful to care for your soul. Look at verse 19 again. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So the same God who created you, who created everything, the same God who sustains you every day with air in your lungs, blood in your veins, food in your stomach, a roof over your head, clothes on your back, that same God will not abandon you and he will not forsake you. You can trust him. He has each and every one of us in the palm of his hand, and he will not let us go. We can entrust our souls to him. If you are in Christ, God will do for you what he has already done for his son. He will raise you from the dead, and you will live with him for eternity. Paul says in Romans 8, he says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can have joy in spite of our suffering because we have a God that is faithful to care for our souls. Because of Jesus, you are loved by God, and nothing changes that. If you are a believer, you are loved by God and nothing can change that. Jesus' perfect life, his death on the cross in your place as a sacrifice for your sins, his resurrection from the dead are all evidence that God has accepted his sacrifice and that for those of us who have placed our faith in him, we have the same destiny as he does. We are in him. It says all throughout the New Testament that in God's eyes, we're already there. We're already seated with him. 
So if we trust in Jesus and believe that God forgives us and accepts us, we can rest in the fact that we are held fast by God. We've crossed from death to life, and no matter what difficulties, no matter what trials, no matter what suffering or pain we experience, God, just like he redeemed every ounce of Christ's own pain and suffering, will do the same with ours. Every bit of it will be redeemed. What God did with Jesus is a pattern of what he's doing with us. Jesus' pain and suffering led to life for all those who believe. And our own pain and suffering is doing something. It is leading somewhere. It is leading to life. The, the question we have to ask ourselves today is, we can, we can read this, we can hear this, but what do we do with it? It really matters whether we accept it and we choose to believe it. So will you choose to trust Christ and have joy in him, find your joy in him regardless of your circumstances? Will you rest in the arms of your Savior, trusting that he knows what's going on, he knows what it is to hurt and suffer, and he's with you in it? Will you entrust your soul to your faithful creator, your Father who loves you, And even though sometimes in the midst of your darkest hours, it is so hard to reconcile his love with the intense pain you're feeling, he has not abandoned you at all. He just has a plan that we don't completely see, and he's asking us to trust him. Whether we're experiencing these difficult times right now, there is no doubt that they will come. They come for all of us. And it's really important for you and I to decide what we're going to do with this, whether we believe this, whether we're going to come to the Lord and say, you know, I don't understand all of this, but I'm going to ask you to give me faith and ask you to help me trust you even when I don't get it. It's really important for us to figure that stuff out now so that when the difficult times come and the bottom drops out, we've got that foundation to stand on. We're, We're already clinging to Christ so that when the storm comes, we're not washed away. You can spend your life searching for joy, searching for security in all kinds of things, continually coming up empty, or we can take God at his word and believe that it's truly found in Christ and that he really is for us and he is not ever going to leave us or abandon us. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to trust Christ? Are you going to find your joy in him? Are you going to look to him and not other places? Because most of us look all over the place. We may look to Christ, but we also look to these other things too. And those things will never give us what we need. They'll never satisfy. They'll never provide the joy that we long for. Let's pray.